Okay, this, uh, this session is called Conquering Innovation in Telehealth. Uh, Rajiv Lebenthal will moderate, and Joe Smith, I guess, will talk. We're missing two, two speakers, so for them, we'll uh, make it up. One of them is supposed to be on Skype, so we'll see how this goes. This will be fun. No, no, you can't leave. I'm really good. Come on, man. I can't be out here by myself. <laughs> Sorry, I have to get liked. You can't let anybody else leave. I can see that this is really working. So I think Eric is supposed to be Skyping in. But... Um, Basically, we, so we're, uh, we're a few minutes away from this year's innovation uh, ignition competition. And one of the things that we wanted to talk about leading up to it was uh, the, the previous um, Qualcomm, uh, uh, Qualcomm Tricorder XPRIZE competition, which was a $10 million global uh, competition to incentivize the development of innovative technologies that, that would look at uh, accurately diagnosing a set of 13 medical conditions. And that's where um, Eric came in. Eric was part of that competition last year, and uh, he was going to talk a little bit about it. But bef I, if we can't get him from technical standpoint, then uh, uh, I guess we'll just um, you know start. If, if you want to give a brief introduction of yourself, uh, Joe, it's just two of us here. Sure. Yeah, nice and intimate. Sure. So um, Joe Smith, I'm a, a geeky cardiologist, geeky engineer. Um, now uh, playing the role of a really geeky business guy, right? So you should think of me as uh, as like a um, a techno fan uh, who uh, spent a career in healthcare, who's now trying to take all of that all of that wonderful stuff he said about wouldn't innovation be great if it did this, and you know we can bring technology together with unmet healthcare needs and really uh, completely change the world, and then try to actually do that. Try to actually build operating companies that would that would take advantage of all of that talk track, uh, and so um, I come to you as uh, as the humble CEO of uh, Reflection Health Inc. It's a virtual uh, rehabilitation company. Uh, I'll also say that uh, last year we bought uh, another virtual uh, rehabilitation company called the. Um, uh, constant therapy, which we renamed the Learning Corp. Um, and so between the two of them, we have a company that does virtual uh, physical therapy and uh, virtual speech, language, and cognitive therapy. And, and why is that even remotely important? Um, I think it's remotely important because we talk a lot about value-based healthcare and patient-centered healthcare, data-driven, value-based uh, healthcare, um, but it's, it's, it's still more talk than it is reality. Um, and so, fortunately, um, I, I live in, a, in a, a world in San Diego, Southern California, where I'm blessed to have uh, very uh, generous funders who believe in this as well. And so what we've done is taken a little bit of appropriate technology and tried to build telemedicine solutions that break both the tyranny of distance, um, but also the tyranny of shared time. Uh, 
And so most of you, when you think about telemedicine, you think about you're at home and you're able to, on some device, talk to, interact with, uh, Skype, face, FaceTime, whatever, with a clinician. But I think um, for, for those of us who've been clinicians, we understand that that still doesn't lever our expertise very well. It is still a one-on-one -on -one encounter. And if you really want to exact the, the value of, uh, of clinical expertise, you want to create a many-to-one uh, proposition. And so what we've done in these two companies is really build spec homes on the intersection between value-based healthcare and this notion of many-to-one breaking of both the tyranny of geography and time. And so what that looks like, if it was a clicker, I could go to the next slide. <laughs> um, but I would, what, I would, what I would share is that, thanks. Yeah, is, is that what, what, we've, what we've tried to build, if this actually works, is um, an interactive smart avatar um, that lives on a little bit of a technology we'll deliver to a patient's home that will take them through what they should be doing as their therapy regimen. Uh, educate them in a way that's interactive. Uh, and then with embedded uh, kind of 3D metrics, non-contact biometrics, we can actually see what they're doing. And we give them real-time shaping feedback based on what they're doing. And when I say we do that, I mean the artificially intelligent layer. I don't mean that there's a therapist watching. I mean that there's technology that's watching. And so what this enables is for patients to do their therapy whenever they want, wherever that technology kit is, getting expert guidance along the way, being held completely accountable to what they should be doing, being measured and monitored and having all of that data collapse up into the cloud and be available for their clinicians to review whenever they would like. And so that's the bet. The bet is that we can create telemedicine solutions that are smart enough that you no longer have this one-on-one -on -one link between the patient and their clinician, be it remote, but actually you can break that to where you can give expert guidance about what should be happening for that patient wherever they are, whenever they want, um, without there having to be a clinician involved. And then you can get the scale of uh, extrapolating that clinical guidance many, many, many fold, depending on just really the bandwidth, the technology. And so we've, we've done that. And then importantly, what, what we've had to do is kind of prove it out, right? So uh, I had a little op-ed in uh, Stat News last week around digital healthcare companies doing clinical trials. Um, if you've noticed, there's a tremendous amount of hype in digital health. $7 billion went into digital healthcare companies this year. But the, 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 the proof points around that hype that, that it's not just that if you trust us, we'll actually pull dollars out of healthcare and improve outcomes, but actually do the randomized perspective, randomized control trial to prove that it works and prove that you do save money. And so again, I live in a rarefied era where I've got good funders, and so we did that. We spent a couple million bucks, we handed the money off to Duke Clinical Research Institute. They're a fabulous academic CRO, and they ran a 300 patient trial for us. It took them 29 months from the first meeting to the final meeting, and we, um, we got the results handed to us like over the phone, like, okay, here's the answer, which is pretty scary if you're a little startup company, by the way, to give your entire fate off to some academic CRO. You're, you're busy working on the 
notion of quarterly burn rates, and they talk to you in terms of semesters and IRB delays and all of that fantastic stuff. Um, but nonetheless, what we got out of it is, guess what? The, this, this as an approach is just as safe, just as effective as face-to-face -face therapy, and it saves almost three grand for every <coughs> patient in the process of their, of their episode. And so um, if you think about healthcare innovation, there's typically a two by two McKenzie diagram that says, if it's cheaper and not as good, no one will use it. If it's cheaper and, um, and just as good, people will use it. If it's more expensive and just as good, people won't use it. And if it's more expensive and better, people might use it. So we landed in, in at least one of the two good boxes of being way cheaper and, and really just as good. If you ask the patients if it's just as good, they'll say, no, no, it's way better because I saved 10 trips back and forth to my physical therapist. I saved my co-pays. I saved parking. I didn't have to bug my brother-in-law to drag me from my home into my therapist's office. Uh, and so for, you know, we had a prior debate up here about where, who gets the greatest bit of value in terms of, of uh, telemedicine. And I'll tell you, at least in our experience, everybody values. Everybody gets the benefit, right? So the, the, the healthcare system saves three grand. The patients save all their co-pays and all the hassle. So um, the long and short of it is building a spec home on this intersection between uh, telemedicine and value-based healthcare. So far, it's working out. We can talk about adoption. That's a different thing. But anyway, this is a, a little bit of a graphic of how you save money. You save money by decreasing the number of encounters patients have with an, a very expensive healthcare system. So I won't, I won't belabor the point any more than that than to say um, that's, that's why I'm here. That's what I, that's what I believe in. I think value-based healthcare is undeniably the future of our healthcare delivery system. And I think approaches like this are part of the solution. What's, what's interesting, Joe, is you know, being a, an executive digital health company um, and innovating, thinking about innovation in that value-based sense versus, as we all know, healthcare has traditionally been uh, a fee-for-service system. Can you talk a little bit about the differences, maybe, you know, how a company like yours might have thought about innovation in the old days versus today? Yeah, so I've had, I've had leadership roles at, at uh, bigger companies, uh, Boston Scientific and J&J, around merging technologies for J&J. And I remember we would say to ourselves, we can't really bring anything to the board unless it's at least a billion-dollar opportunity. There's got to be at least a billion dollars on the table before you can, you can start to get meaningful traction inside of a very large healthcare company. Um, if, if you look at it in terms of the opportunity in value-based healthcare, it's often in somewhat smaller areas where you can start to accrete uh, value over time. And so I, I think you do have to come to it differently. It's not about falling in love with a technology. It's about, um, I think if, if, you, if you wake up, and I ask everybody in the company to wake up with, this is patient-centered, it's data-driven, and it's value-based. And if you can just say your, to yourself those three things as you go about developing the product, I think it works. Um, you know, I've, I've been around long enough and a big enough fan of technology to, to find myself um, occasionally in love with a technology that I think that can, can, might be able to improve outcomes. Um, that road's pretty long if you start with a, a fan, a love of technology. It's a lot shorter if you start with a real unmet need. And for us, we took a look at the notion that patients hobbled up are being asked to go back and forth to their therapists, um, you know, or, or being asked to go back and forth to a hospital, that doesn't sound like patient-centered healthcare. That sounds a lot like doctor-centered or, or clinician-centered healthcare. And so I think if you, it, and the long and short of that is if you adopt a real problem where you think there's a real, a real opportunity for um, appreciated value, then I think your solutions can be adopted.
And coincidentally, uh, you know, our publication, Healthcare Informatics, actually did a little bit of a, of a news story on your um, study with the Duke uh, Research Clinical Institute, and it showed that you know, in the sample, the patients were that did the, the teletherapy were able to the tele-rehabilitation therapy were able to. Um, you know, there were some big cost savings there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, but I, I, think, I think there's a, a message, and I think uh, Dave Gruber uh, was, was trying to get this point across, and I'll just emphasize this. It, it is about aligning the incentives, right? So we find now doing, driving clinical adoption, if we're talking to a hospital system that lives in a densely fee-for-service environment, this is the anathema of a solution for them because this means they get to do less billing. Right. So, so, you know, you've got something that the, the patients love. You know, we get net promoter scores in the 80s and 90s. People like this more than they like Apple products or Amazon services. But the healthcare system's not going to adopt it if in doing so it costs them money. Right. I mean, it's it's very straightforward. We 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 actually the, the same numbers that look like savings look like billing avoidance. If you're, a, if you're a healthcare system, what do you mean I don't, I don't get to readmit those people? It's not a recurring annuity? You know, I don't get to see them in the office? That's the only way I can bill for them? And so if you're living in a fee-for-service world, solutions that are value-based don't play very well. So you have to make sure that you're prepared to go where there is the appropriate incentive for clinicians to adopt a value-based solution. It, it's, it's, it's here now, and it's growing, but it's not everywhere. Yeah, and to that point, I'm kind of interested if you have, you know, any clients who, you know, some a lot of provider organizations are still kind of stuck in that fee-for-service world. Many are, and or if not, you know, one foot in fee-for-service, one foot in value. And does that, um, you know, does that affect, you know, when you go to a to a hospital or or to to a client, sure. and, and you're kind of talking about your solution? There? Ab- absolutely, and in some, you even see like obvious moral injury uh, occurring as a, as a result because you've got you've got some clinicians who practice in a mixed environment, right, where they say some of my patients are fee for service, and some are in bundled contracts or value based healthcare, and so I'll happily give the solution, which admittedly they the patients love, I'll happily. Give it to those in a value-based world. But in the fee-for-service world, I'm still going to wind up doing it the old way. And that, I think, it poses you know, a moral hazard of if you think something's best, why can't you give it to everyone? And it's just because our healthcare system incentives are ineffectually aligned to the outcomes we would like. Which, you know, we talk about, this is a great meeting for this, we talk about physician burnout related to EHRs. I think it's equally related to the, the kind of the moral injury that uh, we, all, we, we all sort of struggle with as we can identify that, which feels like the best thing to do, but the, the structures, um, the architecture of our healthcare delivery system don't necessarily allow us to do such. And that's, that's frustrating all the time. From an innovation standpoint, we, uh, you know, we hear a lot that, uh, there's regulatory hurdles, and that um, you know that kind of presents a, a huge barrier for innovation. You know, as, as um, you know, from from your company perspective, from a digital health um, industry perspective, you know, what can you what can you say to that? So um, I think I was once quoted as saying that the uh, the FDA put the no in the middle of innovation, um, and so um, I, I do think there's been dramatic. Uh, actually, I would say after I said that, I got invited to be part of the Fidesia meetings, which was, I think was like 52 meetings uh, in uh, in Bethesda, where we talked about how to make sure that wouldn't be the case in digital healthcare. Um, so be careful what you say, because it might get you invited to a, a, a federal uh, committee. Um, nonetheless, I would say that I've watched. 
over the last, I think, five years. Uh, Jeff Shuren, Bakul Patel at the FDA, and now with Scott Gottlieb, really take a very proactive position in terms of making sure that regulation moves at the pace of innovation. Uh, and so I'm, I'm delighted about what's been done so far in digital healthcare. I think there's a lot of room to move, but they've clearly gone to a, a posture at least, a policy posture of saying, let's, let's understand that digital healthcare moves so quickly that our prior regulatory schema is not gonna work, and we're gonna start to certify companies, not necessarily products. And so we're gonna, we're gonna know that you're the kind of company that makes products in a way which we understand and can approve. And so we're going to be less specifically concerned about each product innovation and more concerned about your underlying process for making them. And that, that I think, unleashes uh, an, a, a pace of innovation which, which is, is worthy of the digital healthcare space. So good news. It seems like we have Eric, who's the... Um who's on audio, not video, but we have Eric, who's the uh, adjunct professor of neurosciences at UC San Diego, and he can talk about some of the, the previous um, competitions he's been in, specifically the XPRIDE that you know, we're gonna uh, discuss later. Eric, uh, are you with us? Can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? We can hear you uh, loud and clear, and now we can see you as well. Great. Well, it's good, good to have you here. You are here. bigger than life. <laughs> <laughs> Super. <laughs> you look great. Well, not really, um, but certainly the people I work with are. So uh, thanks so much for uh, the opportunity to be at the conference here uh, virtually, which is totally fun for a telemedicine conference. <laughs> and I'm uh, glad we got the, um, the technical details worked out. And I uh, just wanted to be uh, thankful to the conference organizers for putting this on and for putting up awards for innovation in healthcare. It's really an important task for us um, to spur innovators along and give them some incentives to, um, to really participate in what we think are gonna be the opportunities of the future. And that's really what the XPRIZE Foundation is all about. Uh, XPRIZE does high value uh, incentive awards in all kinds of different areas of life. Uh, from ocean health to space exploration and artificial intelligence and to healthcare. And I was very fortunate to be the technical director and medical directors of the uh, Nokia Sensing X Challenge and the Qualcomm Tricorder X Prize. And uh, Rajiv, are you, uh, are you able to put the slides up for us? Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe. <laughs> Okay. Um, I, I think they're well, gonna. I think they're gonna to try to get it up. But I guess in the meantime, you know, can you talk a little bit about your your experience uh, have, in the previous we have competition? Some beautiful graphics, but uh, just let me tell you first about the Nokia Sensing X Challenge, which was about biosensors, and they were all. Uh, this was a partner competition in association with the Tricorder X Prize, where we uh, had teams submit uh, technological innovations. Um, and expert judging panel review uh, the uh, finalists and then ultimately make the awards. And the idea were uh, that these should be mobile health sensing technologies, both for human health, but also for things like environmental health. And um, in 2015 and 16, we gave out uh, two and a quarter million dollars in awards uh, to six different teams, two different competitions with two uh, top award winners. And um, this has been really exciting because since then we've had uh, six teams go on to submit patents, over $100 million in investment, 
the first clinical trial for a volatile organic compound uh, sensing system. And so I was uh, really excited to hear the, uh, the, the descriptions of the clinical trials that we were just hearing about uh, because that's the essence of what we need. We need those clinical trials that are ultimately going to reach to uh, FDA clearance for our medical devices. So that was um, uh, an awesome competition. And the bigger one was the Qualcomm Tricorder X Prize. Um, as Rajiv said, it was a $10 million prize purse for mobile health for systems that were multifunction. They had to be able to detect um, a variety of different health conditions from things like urinary tract infections to melanomas and, um, and uh, uh, acute conditions like um, uh, upper respiratory tract infections, as well as chronic conditions like hypertension and diabetes. And what we wanted to show was that uh, there would be the possibility for technology to enter this space. Um, so with the combination of clouds and telemedicine, as well as the sensors that we saw in the Nokia Sensing X challenge, put together with artificial intelligence, that systems could plausibly detect health conditions. And this was an enormous challenge, and it was launched uh, seven years ago. Um, and announced in 2012 when we had over 300 teams from around the world uh, submit uh, intent to compete. Over 30 teams ultimately submitted uh, uh, proposals that were reviewed by our uh, judging panel. And then 10 teams were selected for finalists and ultimately six teams were in the final uh, judging um, sessions where at UC San Diego we have the test program where these things were put through their paces. Um, they were put in front of people who had been identified with one of the relevant health conditions and the system had to work on its own. So uh, we were hearing about nail biting. Uh, we were watching these, system, these sessions with our testers and uh, my uh, coordinators, clinical coordinators uh, at our uh, translational test center watched this over and over again, seeing people work with these systems. And it was quite remarkable. Um, the two goals that uh, were primary were that the system had to work, it had to correctly identify the health condition, but also that people had to like them. And so I was talking to a colleague of mine just about empathy. And so an empathetic design, a appropriate industrial design principles had to be put in place so that people would be um, interested. And in fact, to me, the most exciting thing uh, about the uh, competition was not the uh, uh, improvement in detection. These systems were able to detect the various health conditions that we uh, saw, but they also met the qualifying criteria of the consumer appreciating the systems. And one, we did this by a consumer survey and one of the most important questions, as, uh, as any technologist knows, is would you use this again? And uniformly, as long as the system worked, if we didn't get, as long as you didn't get the blue screen of death, which happened once in a while, um, people were willing to uh, uh, you know, uh, use a lancet to get a drop of blood, to put on a test strip, um, to do um, 
to ask questions, um, even provide urine samples and things like that. Um, and they would do that and they were still willing to say, yes, I like these systems and wanted to be, uh, would, would like to have one and would use it again in the future. So the idea um, with our competition, and I'm, again, I'm, I know I'm keeping you from your lunch and the uh, prize announcements there, so don't want to be running too long, um, is that the, op the market opportunity sometimes has to be shown through prize uh, programs. And as I mentioned, uh, we have clinical trials and uh, over $100 million of investment in the uh, Nokia Sensing X Challenge winners from a few years ago. Our last year's winners um, in the uh, Tricorder X Prize have now raised over $20 million. And the Qualcomm Foundation and Roddenberry Foundation have another $5 million in helping our, um, our winners in an incubation system that also will be uh, extended openly um, to uh, to competitors here. So if the, in the telehealth, uh, please uh, look us up at UC San Diego in the um, Translational Research Institute. Uh, we'd be interested in uh, working with your systems and providing uh, test intervals uh, like we did for our competitors. So in 2017, we gave out uh, $5.5 million in prize purses, ultimately for the, uh, the Tricorder X Prize. And uh, it was, Jan, it was just a super exciting um, opportunity to show what the future might look like. Uh, Rajiv, did you have any questions for me? Or, no, um, I mean, we, I, I think that's great. And, and I think, yeah, I think as you, uh, as you laid out, it's important to, to in addition to your competition, uh, you know, innovation experience, it's important to think about those post-prize experiences and how things have kind of progressed in the, in the last few years since, but um, you know, as, as we look forward to this innovation ignition competition, uh, you know, this year, it's it's great to hear from somebody who's who's had success and experience in the past. Yeah. Well, um, so post prize innovation is a big deal. That's for sure. I think we're right at uh, at it for uh, for lunch. And uh, thanks to uh, to Eric and to Joe for for being a part of this panel today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Looking forward to hearing about the winners. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.